one. Well, the the Bears came out swinging yesterday morning, and uh, they kept on swinging. They got us down with about 40 handles, but you know what? Some of the by the dippers were still out there. We got a 40-handle rally going off that low, but what is Pump and Powell going to have to say about this? We'll discuss that much more. We got to figure out what's going on with these airline stocks, gold and ETFs. So who do we dial up for that? Frank Bulldog Holmes from U.S. Global Investors at 835. It's Wednesday. It's Fed Day. It's pre-market prep. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I'm bidding a penny. I'd buy that stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, traders and investors. I am fired up today. I'll tell you why in a little bit. We're up 10 and a half handles at 4,500.50. A little dip overnight that was bought, trading just off the highs of the pre-market session. The buck, man, 105. Is this going to get over 105 and break out, make a huge move? We don't know. It's down 14 cents at 104.68. Bonds up a quarter point, but still hanging up near the lows of the move, 118 and 15, 30 seconds. Crude, we talked about hitting 92. Well, it only did one day. Now down 76 cents at 89.73. Gold, <clears throat> flat, silver, that's a little bit more of a percentage gainer, up 13 cents at 23.59. And Bitcoin, inside day, that's what we're working on so far. We're down $85 at $27,185. Triple D, did you have a pillow at your desk last night? Oh, my gosh. I needed a pillow at my desk. These (laughs) nights are getting slower and slower and slower. There's some action during the day. There's some movement during the day. But I tell you, we're going into this lull. I guess it's a lack of a catalyst. And Yes, we're going to get Fed speak here today. Fed the great decision, but we all know. I think what is you know, let's bring Money Mitch into this conversation right away here because he'll have the stats for us here too. But I do believe we're sitting at what is it, Money Mitch? Like a 98% chance of no raise here today. Do we have no, the no, official no. number? You're giving number it too wrong? much, man. You're giving it too much. What is it? 99. We gotta go 99. one more. Wayne Gretzky. That's a great number. I love the 99. Anyways, yeah, 99%. I mean, is that even, uh, do we yeah. even need to look? No, I think what we need to do is focus on what, right? We should be focusing on the dot plot that will be released. What will the dot plot, of course, tell us? That will be telling us the projected move going forward, right? How much do different feds think that the rates are going to get higher? Do we have one more hike rate? Do we have two more on the table? What do you guys think? Only maybe one more? Right, and we're done. I think one and and done. Yeah, and I think done. we're definitely towards the end of it, and that's the good news. But the bad news is there's just no pivot coming. There's no like we're going. It's gonna be a one and we're done. Like and we're leaving them up here. 
Now what? Mm-hmm. And everybody was yeah. expecting, you know, you know, lower rates to come and save us from the coming recession. And I don't think that's imminent here. I think the Fed's going to stick to it. I think the Fed thinks the economy is fine. And I think the economy is fine, too. And I think we're here for rates for a longer time. But yeah, so 99%. So there's a 1% chance that they actually raise rates today. I, I found the 1%. Low. It's pressing in the chat. <laughs> is that who it is? You found the person? The 1%. <laughs> He's the 1%. It, or, yeah. I think we've been okay on, on on following this for a while. I mean, the media, you know, wants to bring up, you know, different things and make it, make a scenario that's not there. But, uh, we're, you know, we're not going back down to those lower rates. It wasn't good to be going lower rates. And how long, you know, you can look at the economic studies. I mean, you take rates up at the pace you did. You just don't see immediate impact, right? It takes time. It takes yeah. time. It takes time. It takes time. And uh, I think that's one thing that uh, Blue Putnam uh, kind of emphasized with us is that, you know, it's going to come down. There's going to be incremental things. Uh, man, they, you know, if you look at crude oil, you know, you're kind of like hiding under the table uh, coming out for that September number. Uh, mm. But, you know, there, there are other factors that go into it, and there's a lag effect. And I think why the number, I mean, it was an okay number, might have been a little bit more benign because that crude oil rally, I mean, that took place in the latter half of the month. So we'll all be sitting on pins and needles when uh, Pump and Paul is speaking. Traditionally, you know, there's been some decent updates on the day of Fed speak, but, uh, you know, set your alarm for two o'clock here and, uh, We'll get the no decision, but we all know it's the conference afterwards that uh, that people like to emphasize and hang on every word. I think it's a very important uh, aspect that you just brought it there with the oil, right? Will Jerome even mention that also? Will that be on his radar? Will he say that, hey, I'm seeing, you know, oil prices spike higher. We're concerned that it could bring inflation back. Um Comments like that, I think that's what we need to be looking for. And where I don't will know you if get he'll comments? Call out oil, but he'll say we're remaining data dependent. You <laughs> know, and 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 oils, you know, oils part of the data. So two percent is two percent still the goal, Joel, or is that just? I've I've been I've been saying three percent from that, even though they would probably you know be more accepting of three. They're they're not going to move from the two, or they're going to fudge the numbers to make it look like that, which we know that works too. They change the CPI continuously <laughs> to make it look less inflationary, <laughs> so they'll find ways to make that look better too. I don't think we're going to see much movement here today. If anything, I think you could see a relief pop, maybe, you know, just because we're still in this choppy environment. I do predict we're going to see a lot more chop going forward. I don't think you're going to see crazy moves. Though. I don't think you're going to see this like, we're ripping 40 handles or we're down 40 handles on this Fed news. We're just not in that environment anymore. Volatility is like gone from this market right now. I mean, the VIX is coming down, but you can feel it. It is slow. We are in a lull. We need a catalyst. And the Fed is not going to be a good enough catalyst here today. So we will come into earnings season next month, but we got about two weeks here where we just don't have much going on. Once, especially once we get past this Fed decision here today, I think you're going to have a lot of quietness in this market. So Dennis, what's the, what's the retail doing, Dennis? What's the little guy doing? Nothing, man. This is the issue is you can clearly see, and it's not, and, and, and with my trading, I can get a very good feel for the markets, you know, like especially when you're trading after hours and you can feel the tape, you can feel different things. After During the day is so much noise from bots. 
but there's not as much bots after hours. There's a lot of, you know, you know, real orders, people coming in, doing stuff. There's still bots, don't kid yourself, but it's not all bots. You know, the, the bids and the offers are more humans, especially even in the pre-market. It's humans. Bots aren't really out there as much. They're out there on SPY. Don't, you know, SPY's got the bots going. But on smaller stocks, you know, sometimes they don't even have a market. You can get a feel for what's happening. And what is happening is nothing is happening. It is slow, pillow time, sleepy. It's like a lull. It feels like we're just going to go into this period where people are disinterested in the stock market. And that's not necessarily a good thing. You know, we can say, okay, yeah, it's a consolidation period for the markets to eventually go higher. But these markets are already pretty high. You know, with Apple trading 27 or 28 times earnings, it was, you know, a little bit higher. It was almost 30 earnings at the peak, but it's off a bet. Microsoft, you know, trading 32 times earnings is the peak. I mean, you you don't want a sleepy market with high valuations, and especially when you're in a 5 or 6% environment here. I think the recipe for success to be on the long side of this market is just not there. And retail is crushed. Don't even kid yourself. There's a lot of retail traders that are probably doing well, especially the ones that listen to pre-market prep. But there's a lot of retail traders that are absolutely just crushed. Talking to another friend last night, a friend from Bright Trading, and he was talking to one of his friends who's got a whole retail portfolio. The the, the gentleman is down 96% on his portfolio. And he's got Lucid, and he's got Workhorse, and he's got INSG, and he's got AMC. He talking all Kathy? these stocks. I mean, it's all these stocks. These stocks that we're talking mm. about so much on retail platforms and Discord and all these. They've just been crushed. Wish, remember Wish? That one. Oh, that was Wish. One of those Atlas picks or whatever. I mean, these stocks are all down 97, 98 percent. It's honestly incredible that you know how hard they were hit but they were all junk to begin with they were all pushed on momo and they were all junk now again this isn't everyone and this is just you know one example but i think what i see at night is like you know kathy wood example yesterday she's on cnbc talking tesla talking about a two thousand dollar price target it can't go up a nickel tesla can't even move i mean that is an issue if you're in this full-on bull rah-rah camp there is a major issue when there is a lack of interest in the stock market, the worst thing for stocks is a lack of interest. Cart, you know, in the Instacart, yeah, it was all great, but, you know, and, you know, obviously come off and we can go to that too. But I mean, this, you know, valuation was over $30 billion at one time. It's sitting down here at 11 or 12. I mean, yeah, it was a successful IPO, but really was it? And then the insiders are all selling all day. Stock opens at 42 and goes to 33. Some people have really been crushed in the stock market. Don't kid yourself. There are some people who have had their butts kicked. So to come and say, yeah, we're going to the next rah-rah bull market, I don't know if the money is there. And it's just not as many people there that are just sitting, you know, on all this COVID money they were given. And then they made all these profits. And then they're bumping them into these stocks and these stocks. And all this money on the sidelines is going to come in. I don't see it happening. What I see is a lack of interest in the stock market. And that's maybe the most dangerous thing for bulls. So Instacart is just about 8% above Tuesday's IPO price of $30, wiping out uh, most of that initial surge. It did have a surge about 43% off of that IPO price. Of course, uh, the company provides delivery and pickup services to 85% of U.S. grocers, serving 80,000 stores and has 7.7 million active customers. One thing that was interesting that I caught um, and just 
diving deep into Instacart was PepsiCo invested $175 million in a convertible preferred stock in Instacart. So at least they got PepsiCo on their side. What do you guys think about Instacart? And then after this, let's take a look at the other IPO, right? I know everybody wants to still talk ARM. Let's go, Dennis, to Kurt, man. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say about this. So, do they, do they do your shopping, or like, do you call it into the place, and then the place oh. does the shopping, and they just pick it up? I mean, I really have not done a lot of research because, to me, this really doesn't seem like a new, a new concept. I mean, this guy was it. Did you listen to him at all on CNBC? Did it all? Did you guys listen to him at all? He he was at Amazon. He left Amazon in 2012. He started 20 companies. They all went bankrupt. And he went to his refrigerator. The only thing he had was a can of hot sauce. And he's like, the only thing people aren't buying online is groceries, right? Yeah. 2012. That was. A, I mean, it doesn't seem like. It seems like there's a lot of competition out there. It seems that you know. People can go and do it themselves. I don't know what the premium they charge, but I mean, I almost would like look at Uber and, and uh, you know, something like that. They're making money. This this company, I mean, they're not coming into the, the, the IPO firing on all cylinders as far as growth goes. So it's hard for me to get excited about it. Uh, I think the headlines here and everybody talking about how successful this current IPO was. I mean, the stock opened at the highs. I know. And tanked from 42 down to $32 here now in one day. This stock is in a technical bear market <laughs> after one day. A bear market is when a stock falls 20% from its highs. It's in a technical bear market <laughs> after one day. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. Maybe we have on yes, some Yes, yes. You know. You know exactly which, which one. ones. You you should know that there's one, and that stock still has not come. It had the worst performance on the first day. And I'll give you a hint, and I'm sure the chat will be all over it. I kind of mentioned it. I didn't mention it directly, but I mentioned a group of stocks that could be competition for this. Come on now. Come on. Someone knows this. Okay, don't, don't suspense us too long here. Lift. Oh, well, Lyft is just a terrible story all around altogether. But that's but it what never, it did. was. It was down 20% on day one. Oh, my Lord. It, it, I, I it, don't remember the day one of Lyft. Okay, and it's a stock Lyft. that I don't even look at now. Okay. I hardly, it, I like, I used to trade this thing actively. It doesn't move enough. It sits down here at 11 bucks. It's just no interest here. And I think it's eventually going on. I probably, not, not saying necessarily to zero, but. This is stock is probably going a lot lower. Well, uh, uh, the first month, and that that's not right. The first, I, I don't know about the 20% the first day, but Dennis, this opened at 87.24 on its IPO. Yeah. It hit 88.60 that day. And straight that, down. Straight down. Straight absolutely. You've got to, investors, we're going to talk to the investors here, not the traders, because the traders know you get in and out, you cut your losses. Investors. You've got to respect valuation when you are investing in anything. As a trader, you don't, you don't even, valuation doesn't matter. As a trader, you're just trading the tape. You're trading. It depends on your time frame. You can trade technically. As an investor, you have to respect valuation. When you're paying, you know, when you're, when you're buying zombie companies, one that don't make money, you're pushing, you know, can they grow into money? They better have a path to profitability. Don't be going in something that doesn't have a path to profitability. If they have a nice path, you know, maybe there's an opportunity here. 
But as an investor, you've got to know the valuations you are paying for stuff. You can't pay $70 billion for Rivian or whatever the hell it was. Was it $100 billion? It was just something really stupid when the thing was up on $110. And we were on this show. And I hope we saved a lot of retailers a lot of money because we hated Rivian. We hated Lucid. Lucid was Lucid was $35 when I put my price target of 5 on it. Remember, I said that multiple times. Five bucks, I think it's eventually going to. It has never quite got there. I don't know if it ever got to five. It's 550, 544. It's not quite there yet. But anyways, absolutely right there too. As an investor, you have to respect valuation. Do not let a trade turn into an investment. Do not hold and buy these things at 70, 80, 100 times earnings or zombie companies that have no path to profitability ever or stocks that are just on a pure story. You know, like a hot story, and then that's it. That's all they got. I mean, the VFS was predictable. Literally three weeks later, the stock oh. goes from 85 to 17. Everybody who bought that thing as an investment is crushed. Do not get stuck. Investors, do not buy stuff that is ridiculously priced. That's my tip of the day. Yeah, uh, like always, right? I think that one of the things that we were looking at was ARM's PE outlook, right? And we were talking about it. Would this kind of get the lift with AI or would this be kind of this disaster story here of AI? It seems like so far it did get the lift, has pulled back below the IPO open. What are you guys thinking about it now? There could be more like I'm not. But again, I'm not going to invest in this thing. What is the valuation of this thing? Like, let's just go look. Trusty Benzinga Pro. Bring it up here. Details. I think they have it in there now. They had it in there, but I just want to see if they have the metrics in there yet. Yeah, they're starting to get the metrics. So 56. So PE is 140. That's 140 is the PE. Mm -hmm. The forward PE is 57. So if they hit the optimistic, those projections will be optimistic. Don't kid yourself. You're still paying 57 times earnings. So it's more expensive than NVIDIA. It's more, wrap your head around that. ARM is more expensive than NVIDIA. I would much rather own NVIDIA than ARM. So it's a no touch for me as an investment. As a trade, is there opportunities? Is there, you know, potential moves? Sure, as trades, you can trade anything. You can you could lean on the low of the move and say, I think this is at 53.88. I think you're going to get stopped out because I think it's going lower short term. But, you know, maybe it doesn't. And maybe it bounces off the lows. You know, as long as you have an out. But as an investment here, ARM Holdings at 57 times optimistic forward earnings and 140 times current earnings, no thank you. For the silence. price action and no, for the price action in this one, I mean, what uh, what was what was the pricing? Uh, wasn't it forty bucks or something like that? Wasn't it lower? And we thought it might trade higher on that day. That's uh, that's what I like. That's what I'll keep an eye on. I mean, maybe if it gets down to forty, that that's where it was priced. Uh, the thing with card and it was pointed out by uh, Jay yesterday. Uh, not everyone got rich off this. I mean, it's mm -hmm. depending on on when you you know you invest in private equity, uh, the timing of it. So, you know, oh yeah, I got these shares in uh, the private market, and uh, you know now it's open at a loss. So that that's a little bit of different dynamic. But uh, we'll let a couple more uh, you know a couple more days. I tell you right now for cart, just if you're just looking at your short term technicals, and that's all you have. Someone's nibbling a little bit here at 32. Then that's it. 32 support. Old time low was made um, in the pre-market trading at 31.79. S&P's just 
creeping its way up here through the 4,500 handle, kind of reminiscent of yesterday until we got some Canadian inflation data and Red Book sales around nine o'clock, and then that completely turned us around. And the Canadian but, markets are in a in a really kerfuffle here, like, and I and you can see it. Is that a word? Did I make that? I up? don't know. I think you did. Uh, one I thing before we just move off of cart. One, one thing I, I we can go to your uh, topic there, Dennis. But one thing on cart, if you're noticing that it says Maple Bear Inc. at the bottom there, yeah. as the company. That is Instacart, guys. You don't have it wrong. A lot of people are opening it up today, and they're like, what? Yeah, what is with that name? I I don't understand this. This is an Instacart. Maple Bear is the company. Oh, why would you put your anything bear in your name? That's the that's the the parent company here, right? And then Instacart mm-hmm. is under their name here. So Maple that's Bears. why you're seeing Maple Bear there. Don't Maple worry. Bear. I was like you guys too. I was like, I don't understand it. I'm looking up cart and it's telling me Maple Bear. You're you're looking up the same company, guys. All right, let's keep so- going. Go to these Canadian markets here for a second. I want yeah, to just let's talk. talk a little bit about we're that. doing a lot of macro talk here today. It's Fed Day. We're doing a lot of macro talk. The Canadian markets are in a precarious situation in the housing market because one, there's a huge bubble in housing, but two is unlike the U.S. markets, which are about thirty-year tied-up, you know, amortizations where they're tied up in these mortgages and they got their rate fixed. Canada never offered thirty-year fixed. They offered five-year fixed. So people's rates are coming up. So it's one thing like you're a year and a half into this rising rate environment. You're really at, you know, a few months of peak interest rates. And there's a lot of people who, you know, had variable mortgages. Those what people are hurting already. But there's a lot of people at five-year fixed. Maybe they're coming in at a three-year fix and there's only two years left on it. Or maybe there's only one year left on it. All those people you talk to and they're like, well, interest rates are going to go back down. My mortgage doesn't come due for another six months and I know they could come back down. So I'm going to be okay. But as they're coming due, what is happening here? is the banks are now extending amortizations because you have people that literally can't make their payments. So they're just extending out. And we've talked about this. There are some places that and there, there were some people that was in, you know, I talked about this article a while ago in the Financial Post, looking at Toronto. And people, some people have 80, 90 year amortizations now, Joel, because the banks don't know what to do with them. And some of them are on fixed payments. So these fixed payments, if, as it obviously comes up, the interest rates that it becomes, you know, less principal you're paying off and you're paying off all interest. Well, in some cases now they're actually de-amortizing, meaning that they're not even paying enough to pay the interest. So there's just adding more term to your loan. So just adding more years onto your loan to be able to make up for it. So the banks are trying to do everything because they don't want a whole bunch of houses showing up at their doorstep here. Take a look at the charts of the Canadian banks and tell me there isn't a major problem here. Bank of Nova Scotia, which I did buy for a bit. I've sold it now. Um, well, actually, I do have a trading position on so I shouldn't say that. So, But we'll just look at it. So full disclosure, I do have a day trading position on this, So, um, which I will trade out of today. But I'm just using it as an example. Bank of Nova Scotia, look what that's done in the last eight, nine, ten months. Look at Bank of Montreal, what that's done. BMO. Look at ROI. Look at TD. One of these things, what do these things all have in common? Serious downtrends. They all pay really high dividends. Canadian banks have never cut their dividends. Even through the financial crisis, they held up very well. They've never really cut the dividends. Um, It's a very interesting situation here because these banks have come down a lot. A lot of these banks have come down a lot. TD, RY, BMO, BNS, 
CM, all serious downtrends. Like, I mean, look at CIBC, one of the more conservative ones. April of 2022, $65 a share. It's now 40 I think the issue here is we've got a potential housing crisis going to happen in Canada. And that is why these banks do not catch a bid. And that is why these banks are extending out amortizations. And that is why these banks are having some serious issues. What about, and I mentioned to you this before, and I can't, I can't remember what your response was, but for a while, the correlations with banks and the Canadian markets was with oil, right? And to see yes. this dismal performance in the face of a ripping oil market, it's just like, okay, well, there is that not a catalyst anymore? You know what? You know what is going to turn things around? I'll just tell you on your monthly, Dennis, and I haven't looked at this ETF, this uh, um, EWC, in forever. But there's a number, and I'm going to give you this number, and it's been good since the middle of 2022. Thirty-six bucks, man. Until this eat, it's there. It's close. It's bumped its head against that so many times. If you're looking for a rally in the in, in the this ETF, this market, it's only a buck fifteen away. And I know it doesn't move, but look at all bottom right chart. Look at all those monthly tops there. Highly convicted. I would almost make that a ten star, Dennis. And the longer it takes to get over that thirty-six dollar area, then of course you could test the waters on the downside. But that. That's that's some major, major monthly resistance. And you can look at this EWC chart and say, well, Canada's holding up pretty well. We just haven't gone anywhere. But do you want to know something? Oil stocks have gone up substantially in the last yeah. couple of months here. Canada is all oil stocks. I think the index is like 30% oil stocks. So you have the oil stocks ripping, ripping higher. And the index ain't going anywhere because you got a lot of the junk in there right now. And I'm, it's hard to call the Canadian banks junk but I'm concerned that they might be. I'm concerned here that there is a lot of Canadian banks have lent money out to a lot of people who actually cannot afford their house payments now. And they're extending out the amortizations. And once you're going into de-amortization, now you're extending out the, the, the amortization just because they can't even make the interest payment. I mean, this is adding up to a potential problem here. Housing prices are starting to come down in Canada. Building costs are astronomical. So building costs have really, you know, obviously uh, pushed where the prices to where they are. I know because I went through some builds. But, you know, where they were building, I've given these arguments before, at $300 a square foot, they were building homes four or five mm -hmm. years ago, pre-COVID. It's now five to 600 So building costs have basically essentially doubled in five years. And that's why housing prices have went up substantially. But the problem is, is that there's just not enough money to be able to, like, you, how, is a, how is a McDonald's worker getting paid $17 an hour, which sounds pretty good, $17 an hour. How are they ever going to afford a five or $600,000 home? They're not. Something, the math just doesn't add up to keep driving prices higher. It just doesn't add up. And in the States, again, it's not as much of a situation. Your housing bubble is not nearly as big, and a lot of these people are sitting. But it's also why... You're not seeing much, you know, movement. You know, the supply is down. We've talked about that before, too, because people cannot afford to give up their 30-year locked-in fixed rate because it's going to go from 3% to 7.5%. So lots of interesting situations here. Again, though, the reason I don't get super bearish and sell everything, go short this market, is that the Fed can fix the problems they by got lowering the rates. Yep. Yeah. So that's something to think about too. But there's so, lots to think about here, lots to digest. There's a lot of reasons 
not to be, you know, just coming in this market and mortgaging everything, you know, and going on merge and to buy these stocks, thinking that we're going back to all-time highs. I don't care what the technicals look like. I don't think we're going back to all-time highs. Here are banks that have uh, uh, kind of loans over 30 years here. And so here you got different ones here. You can see Q1, Q2, Q3 of how they've been adding. Um, but I just wanted to pull this. I got this from Reuters. And just to add some information that you're bringing up there, Dennis, like actual uh, numbers here, an yeah. estimated 331 billion, uh, Canadian billion, but uh, in US it would be 245 in home loans are expected to come up for renewal next year. That's scary. What happens then? All these amortizations go out further because the people can't make their payments. So again, um, you know, it's always 25 years was the norm. That was pretty much the norm for all the banks that didn't give out amortizations more than 25 years. They're now giving out 35, 40, again, on these variables, sometimes they're getting into crazy things like, you know, on these variable fixed payment schedules that there's 90 year amortizations, a few of them out there, which is insane. You're not going to live 90 years. You never own your home. You're a glorified renter at that point in time. You're not a homeowner. You're a renter. So, I mean, there's a lot of issues here and higher rates. Again, this can be fixed by the Fed. So I can't get just like it's the end of the world and the housing bubble is going to burst and the market's going to crash and burn and everything. But the consumer is starting to get more strapped. That's the bottom line. And we can see it in American Airlines. You can see it in, you know, the like all of these you know, consumers, the GM and Ford Ooh. disasters. Again, a lot of that is due to the strike, but also due. I think lack of demand is going to be coming forward here. I think people aren't going to be buying big ticket stuff. I think the consumer is eventually going to run out of cash. And you know and what's going to start the bear market? Is when one of the big guns warns, like a Microsoft or a Google or an Apple or a Meta. One of those companies pre-announces and says, well, we're a little bit light. They are priced for perfection, folks. Apple is priced for perfection. It cannot warn. If there was any hint that iPhone 15 sales were not going to be as good. And look at what the Wall Street does here. You know, the, the Apple goes down a little bit and you have four banks come out and defend it. The iPhone sales are great. They're great because they're defending the stock price. They're seeing the stock price come in. We got to defend it. Well, Apple gets the big pop a couple days ago because all these the Dan Ives. 15 yep. sales are fantastic here. We've got a super cycle coming. You know, all this nonsense. What I think eventually is going to happen is one of these, you know, maybe the super cycle isn't going to be that super. I'm not saying that's going to be Apple that warns. I think you're eventually going to have one of the big guns warns, and that is going to really start spooking the market because they're all hiding in it. They're all hiding in these stocks at 28, 30 times earnings. You want to hide in stuff? Hide in cash. Intel unveiled a new AI computer processor at its innovation event, emphasizing the power efficiency and PC integration without relying on the cloud. However, it lacked specific chip performance details. And some are saying that that's what caused the decline here in Intel stock yesterday. Intel CEO showcased a laptop that generated Taylor Swift-like songs using AI. Taylor, you better watch out. Uh, Intel core pr processors with AI integrations will be available in PCs from December 14th. Intel promises to Im make improvements in graphics and AI performance, but doesn't provide specific details there. Uh, Intel stock experienced a nearly 5% decline during the event due to lack of product details and high investor expectations. 
and we talked about the high investor expectations. Yeah, I think and- everything they announced was fine. They said AI, Tim Seymour and Fast Money. We had him on the show here yesterday. Obviously, we love Tim Seymour. May have said it best. He's like, Intel is the only company that can talk about AI for an hour and tank on it. I mean, this is Intel's long-term story, which has just been an epic disaster for all investors. Joel and I know that. You know, we suffered some pain trying to invest in Intel, trying to think of the turnaround story here. I do think there is a turnaround story eventually in Intel. I do think old school tech has, you know, its day here. And it's it's kind of right now, it feels like, because IBM's been doing well, Cisco's been doing well, a lot of these companies. So I actually do think this Intel dip gets bought. So this isn't going to be a full-on bearish rant here. Uh, just, you know, it moved up too much, expectations too high. You know, was it the CEO doing push-ups on, you know, the whole thing? I was like, let's again, just be a circus show here. Paul, I do Paul, think the Paul. Intel dip's going to get bought, though. Uh, what it has to do, it, it pulled back to this $36 area. I mean, quick run-ups in a thick stock like this can often induce quick retreats, and you just cut through that 38 37 and 36 handle. The bulls really got to establish a bid here, just around 36. That was the area of yesterday's low. I'm not going to give too much consideration to that gap. It's not quite halfway back. Well, yeah, it is. Wow, 32 to 40. This 36. If you're looking for the, the triple D bounce in this one, you are trading up a nickel today. I'd, I'd like to see the big boy step here at 36 and then get back. But that's an ugly candle from yesterday uh, in Intel, any way you put it. it's uh, It was a big move, hit 40, back to 36. I'm looking to see it get a sustained bid at, at 36. Yeah, I don't know if yeah. you have to just jump right in, but 36 is a big level, Joel. It's a great number you're giving. Yeah, I like the gap there. Uh, if it can come back, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be probably a buyer. I've been waiting for it to come back. General Mills, Q1 adjusted EPS here at a dollar nine, beat the dollar eight estimate. Wow. Sales of 4.9 billion beat the 4.88 billion estimate. General Mills re affirmed full year sales growth of three to four percent and adjusted eps growth of four to six percent is defensives the area that we should be looking at why 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 be in a stock like general mills when you can be in cash and you know what if you took that advice three months ago you're selling general mills up at 80 and not at 66 today so its biggest problem is high interest rates. Its biggest problem isn't going to be demand falling off a cliff. It's that there's no growth. These are serial company staples that were alternatives to 1% cash. They were great when you had the Tina trade on because, well, I can sit here, get 3.5%, maybe a little bit of growth of it. This is good. Now you're losing 2% cash because dividend yields only 3.5%. You get no growth for it. And you're probably paying, you know, what are you paying? Let's go look at the P on this puppy. 14, 15 times. So it's under a market multiple. It's come down. It used to be like 18, 19 when we were complaining about it. So it is coming down. At 11 or 12 times earnings, give me a call. I'll be interested. But 15, could it pop? Does it get, you know, if we go into, you know, like a market, like downturn cycle, General Mills can actually lift on that. But I think why GIS and why not cash? Cash. Give me a green monthly candle, Len. Those are pretty thick red monthly candles there. Uh, but let me just give a little bit of positive here because there's a setup that I, that I sure. can identify for you. There's all these highs at the 65.60, 65.70 level. Uh, that's like three out of your last four highs. You popped above it. Almost 50,000 shares have traded. So I would not be surprised if it could catch a bid here at 66.50. 
and move it up, maybe move its way up closer to 68. That's the technical setup. If you don't hold this, if it opens up here at 66.50, takes 60 and then turns off, you're looking at like 66.05, 66.10. I think they're going to sell it. But it, it has it has the potential. Uh, I just wanted to mention real quick, it, uh, do we have Frank yet? Not yet, not yet. I'll let you know when he he gets in I just want to mention, and I said this when it came out, Smucker's buying Tweaky. I mean, (laughs) what a bad move that was. And it was a bad – they continue to pound that thing. Look at that. On earnings day, I mean – Twinkies. I mean, come on. And this twenty-seven times earnings for a bunch of Twinkies. That's what Um, they did. SJM deserves to go down. Joel, you're absolutely correct. That was a dumb purchase. Dumb, dumb money. Dumb money. Can they get out of it? I mean, is it no? They're not going to get out of it. They're they're going to go with it because then it would mean that they did the the wrong decision. They're going to say there's synergies. We're going to find all this. Yeah, that's what it is. But you paid 27 times earnings for Twinkies. Who eats Twinkies In, in an environment like this? Not the time to pay 27 times earnings for a bunch of Twinkies. Next. Let's go to upgrades downgrade. Rosenblatt maintains buy on Pinterest, raising price target to 38. Citigroup upgrading Pinterest to buy and raising price target to 36. This, of course, coming after the investor day pointed to high teen revenue growth here. What do you guys think about Pinterest? Continues to hold up because Elliot's in there. Continues to hold up because people believe in Elliot. And that's the main reason that, you know, this stock hasn't been hit as hard as some of the other social media stocks. So I guess Meta's held up. But Snap, you look at that. And I used to trade Snap with pins. And you can't because Elliot's in here. So dips do get bought in this. This thing gets down to the low 20s. It's been bought every single time. Elliot's been in there for a while. I don't know if they're going to turn it around or what the story is, you know, what their, you know, activist uh, situation with Pinterest here. But they're still underneath demand here because Elliot's in there. Technical comments out of me. I don't know. Uh, trading at the highs of the pre-market session, twenty-seven fifty. I mean, it's breaking out. I look at support at uh, coming down to yesterday's low, so I maybe have an interest uh, fifty cents lower at the top of yesterday's range. If you really get excited about this one, the rally continues. Thirty-two cents higher would be my next target at twenty-seven seventy-two. Really nice bump in volume yesterday too. Huh? That's interesting. He trades ten eleven million. Trades thirty-three million yesterday. Get the upgrade today. We'll see if they take profits off that short-term trading. Cody raises first half. Fiscal year 24 sales growth outlook to 10% and 12% from 8 to 10%. Of course, this is the brand that licenses brands such as Calvin Klein, Hugo Boss, Gucci, Burberry. And then when you take a look at their cosmetic brands, they got CoverGirl, Max Factor, uh, Kylie. Um, So Cody getting a little bit of a lift here. What do you guys think about this one? Have you ever tried this one? Yeah, I do. Held up better than a lot of the other retailers. Um, some of those brands are okay. Some of those brands are cringeworthy. Um, it's it's obviously you know not been a great investment for a long time. I mean, you can look out to the long, longer term chart. Thirty dollars back in twenty sixteen. It's twelve bucks here today. It's bounced up nicely. 
I'm just not sure I'm jumping into retail stocks. I'm just not hungry. Obviously, there's been some pockets of strength in retail. We know Abercrombie and Fitch, American Eagle. There's been certain pockets of strength, but even those are starting to break here now. Ralph Lauren has come significantly down. It's always been a pocket of strength, and it's starting to show weakness here too. Kind of looks like it's ready to fall off a cliff to me. I think the consumer is just strapped a bit, and that scares me on anything. Clothing consumer discretionary, it is, you know, to a certain extent. So I'm scared. Ah, uh, boy, four highs right at the 1220 area. You're opening into that. These were some highs back in August. So just keep an eye on that, up 64 cents. And just real quick, did you see Elf yesterday? Or did you see Elf over the last couple of days? Finally, they're finally coming for that. Breaking that too. Down. Yeah, down, uh, down another 35 cents. Do you so. notice what's coming? They're coming for the leaders now. They've been Ooh. hitting the laggards and punishing them, but the stocks have just had relentlessly been. Elf has went straight up for the last year. It's went from 20 to 140. It's been an incredible run here. You know what they're doing? They're taking profits because they're nervous. Investors are nervous here now. Now they're starting yeah. to knock things down. Keep an eye when you start losing leadership. Again, NVIDIA has broken the one, the 450. It's hard to go super uber bullish until you start seeing NVIDIA back over 450. Nothing goes straight down. The bear, bulls were declaring victory when it bounced from 420 to 440. But you know what? This market's going to be a lot of chop. Nothing goes straight down. You need NVIDIA really back up over 450, 460, sustaining a bid for you know this AI trade to start turning this market around here again. So as long as NVIDIA is below 450, I think you're better to sell stocks. Well, we're clear for takeoff. Clear for takeoff. Let's get to it. All right, we're going to bring on Frank Holmes. He's the uh, executive director of High Digital Technologies. He's also the CIO, director, and chief investment officer at U.S. Global Investors. Frank, what do you do in your free time? I um, run. <laughs> oh, there you go. Oh, I didn't no. know Frank had any free time. The guy runs everything. So you know, it's he so runs funny. and he runs my, companies. I have my iWatch and I get phone calls more and more often while I'm running with my iPhone. <sighs> yes, no. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Frank, let's get right into it. The creator of the Jets ETF. It has been grounded. I know it did get into some overbought territory, now oversold. Can the airlines overcome the screaming higher oil prices? Well, I think it's just like we were talking earlier about the negative sentiment and, and attacking leaders, etc. There's this pervasive, very negative sentiment. I recently was in Europe. I flew over to Italy and every flight was packed. Um, this week, I flew up to Denver for the um, institutional 35th year of institutional investors only gold fund and gold um, CEOs and CFOs from around the world, the Australians, the Europeans, everyone comes to this event. Uh, and it was pretty subdued. Uh, and, and it's just, but the flights are packed. I try to get home early. No way. Everything was sold out. So I think we're dealing with a lot of negative sentiment. The biggest negative real sentiment here, which seems to be oil, the surge in oil prices uh, has an impact on a particular American Airlines because it's unhedged. Uh, but there's this sort of negative sentiment. And September historically has been a bad month. 
All right. Well, let's just go right to the Jets. J-E-T-S. Jets, Jets, Jets. The ETF performance going back uh, 12 months here. Still uh, not too bad. But, man, I mean, that looks like a ski slope there. Uh, yeah. Give us a, give us your, your well, we got your fundamental outlook, Frank. Well, that, that technical on outlook. July the 12th, I think, uh, oil went above the 50-day moving average. And then all of a sudden, you can see uh, uh, that hedge fund trade. Uh, of, of getting out of jets. And uh, you can see that the, the shorting, of, I believe, of predominantly American Airlines and Allegiant because they're unhedged. But the airlines are trading on a PE ratio, cash flow multiple, substantially below trains and trucks. Um, and, and so as a mode of transportation, it continues. They're, tr- they're pushing to lift the age for retirement for pilots because there's a pilot shortage. Uh, I, I think that the supply side and growth of these airlines uh, is is basically not going to be able to grow just with more flights. So they have pricing power, uh, and and that's what we're, that's what we're witnessing. So I, I think you buy the dip, um, and it's interesting. I share with you because I was at this Gold Institutional Conference, and there was a panel with some of the famous. Um, self-made billionaires in the mining industry, especially Robert Friedland, uh, who is the founder of Sirius Radio in your cars. Um, and uh, and there was Pierre Pierlasson, uh, who's a huge philanthropist and created Franco Nevada uh, as a gold royalty and at uh, one time was the president of Newmont. So he was commenting that, that central banks around the world is the first time that they've been big buyers of gold in a rising interest rate scenario. And gold has been uh, soft and weak because the dollar is the strongest currency. And when you're seeing in Japan, Japanese yen, the third biggest GDP in the world, uh, gold is up 40%. So they speculate that in the next quarter, uh, interest rates will peak, uh, price of gold will surge. And and they, they comment that the central banks buying has created that gold would normally be so much lower where the rates of the dollars are, the dollar is today, but that they're creating a digital gold back currency because there's no way the BRIC currency uh, is fungible. They immediately have to trade and turn it into U.S. dollars. It's a closed economy in China. They don't accept MasterCard, Visa, American Express now. Uh, Russia's a closed economy. There's no Facebook in these places. There's no Google as closed from social media and it's closed economically. So how can you have something that's a fungible global currency? And when I was in Italy, I'll share with you guys, it's interesting on the menu. There's no, there's no uh, um, Napa wines. There's no California wines. But in America, you get Italian wines, Argentine wines. So we have, when you look at just wine, we have a much more fungible open society uh, of all these choices we get. But in these other countries, there's all these different forms of protectionism. And it's most severe in China, who is most anti the U.S. dollar. Don't, I mean, don't you just feel, I mean, we're looking at gold going back. You know, you had the, uh, uh, you know, the COVID low. I think there was just a lot of reshuffling of equities. You've gotten over 2,000, uh, you know, a couple times over the last year. Isn't it just better just to range trade this thing and, you know, try and buy the dips and sell the rips? I mean, 
you know, I, I just as for as long as I've been following gold and as long as the different scenarios, different world crises and everything, it just seems like it never can get a sustained bid over 2000 and hold it. What, a, you know, I, I just give me a little bit more evidence here. I do have some well, gold if, holdings. If, if I did buy their, <laughs> go ahead. If you follow the gold conspiracy people, they will share with you and there are and the publications that traders at JP Morgan have been found guilty of manipulating gold prices in the futures market. <clears throat> so they believe that there's suppression and oppression of gold using the futures market. Well, the government continue, continues with all this money printing. You know, I, I don't turn around and say that that is the, the reason for it, but I share with you that this century with governments, the G20 practicing modern monetary theory, that the price of gold is double the S&P 500. And I've always advocated a 10% weighting and rebalance each year. Uh, and and you'll, you'll outperform. Uh, and so we have this rising interest rates. You've got to really take a look at the U.S. dollar. I mean, it's up two standard deviations. It's, it's on a tear. The two-year government bond yesterday made a, made a 17-year high. Um, and, and I think that uh, how long can this last before it breaks the economy? Uh, I don't know uh, that end of it, but I do know whenever it's up two standard deviations, price reversal is usually steps in. Then I think you can see gold pop to 21, 2200. The thought process is that if the central banks go to a digital gold, they want to have a Bitcoin of their own, but it's backed by gold and it's controlled by the Bank of International Settlements. Um, to basically thwart um, uh, what China's trying to be anti-America. Uh, and that would only give tremendous credence and have C gold trade at $3,000. But you're, we're going to wait for that. I think the short-term trade is you buy the dip because rates are going to peak here. Well, Frank, if we want to outperform, why not just look at Hive, right? You don't need to be maybe looking at gold or the S&P. Let's take a look here at that chart. Look at this, guys. Yeah, it's 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 no doubt, you know, Bitcoin has um, dealt with so many negative political uh, woes. Um, it's really sad that we see jurisdictions, little islands like Bermuda have regulatory uh, borders and, and uh, guidelines for crypto exchanges and crypto anything. And we don't in America. So I, I think that um, even with all of that negative news, uh, uh, Bitcoin has done exceptionally well. And I try to point out is that there's 13,000 nodes all over the world uh, that are validating transactions. There's no 13,000 gold analysts. There's no 13,000 uh, uh, institutional gold funds. Uh, it's, it's very decentralized. And, and I see that the process of the government is to go after on-ramp and off-ramp. But we all know what's happened with that in the past because we can look at prohibition. Prohibition was to stop alcohol. Um, it didn't happen. All it did was usher in the mob. And then we had in pro during the 30s where they basically said, we're, we need your gold. We're going to confiscate your gold unless you had numismatics. People didn't, very few turned their gold in and uh, gold only went from $20 to 36 So when you have a global phenomenon like the Bitcoin ecosystem, uh, it, it, it just goes to show you that it's something that's a, a fascinating alternative asset class. It's much, much more volatile than gold. Uh, and I suggest that people look at 2 to 3% of the portfolio. And then gold is 10% uh, in, in, in having these 
what they call decentralized alternative asset classes. Frank, before we let you go, take off the Bitcoin glasses, the the gold glasses, and uh, um, airline glasses, and just look at look at everything you know from a broad perspective. You've been in the markets for a long time, you know. Rapidly rising interest rates, we've had it. It hasn't killed the economy yet. A lot of things going on. I mean, relative. I mean, we're. I mean, if you want to, you know, cut it, slice it. We're kind of near all time highs here. I mean, yeah, we're, yeah. And, we're, and I wrote about I, I wrote about that ahead. on the week on the weekend on Friday, and and I pointed out that the S and P 500 is, is tremendously asymmetrical. It's not a balanced right now, and it's driven predominantly by a handful of stocks are are dominating its performance. And if you went to an equally weighted S and P 500, it's up eight percent, not eighteen percent. So there's a ten percent spread of outer performance from only ten names. Uh, and that's what we were talking earlier, like the NVIDIAs and the Facebook and the Microsoft and the Google and the AI phenomena of driving these up. So you do have this sort of uh, risk. I have also studied your program for the past nine months uh, that I, I can recall every time I've been on is that in the third year of a presidential election cycle, when the president's a Democrat and Congress is a Republican, the market is up. And uh, and it's going back 60 years of data points. I like those data points. So I, I do think we have to look at um, a phenomena for liquidity and, and big cap liquid names that are getting the funds because we looked at the Russell 2000 and we looked at micro cap indexes and they're down for the year. Even when companies have good dividends, uh, good growth rates, et cetera, as a whole, it's way, way lagged the market. So it's a very concentrated big liquid names by portfolio managers and traders in this space and it does lend itself to a, a, a risk in those technology names of just i would say mean reverting but it does present a risk all right now, frank go ahead go ahead oh i i wanted to add here uh frank uh so uh i don't know if you got your halloween costume already but uh i love gold this is what you should be right there, oh, there for for Halloween there. We got to get I, you on the gold member. <laughs> I, I do. I love it. I love it. And I truly believe either that you buy the dip on gold and you hodl. This is the first time. There you go. It's the From first Frank time Holmes we've seen this, this scenario of gold, of the dollar up two standard deviations, uh, two-year government bonds up two standard deviations over 60 trading days. The odds of mean reversion are very high. And that's the opposite gold takes off. Well, thank you, Frank. All right, Frank Holmes, Chief Executive Officer over at U.S. Global Investors, joining us on Pre-Market Prep. Frank, thank you. We'll dial you up again soon. All right, let's get back to the action. What's going on in the market? Creeper here? rally, creeper rally. They had a little dip under 4,500 back at the highs of the pre-market session. We got some pesky bulls up there. Monday's high comes in at 45.14.50. That's 10 handles away. That's a short-term target here uh, for the trading session ahead of the big Fed. Triple D, what do you see out there? Uh, it's going to be choppy. We're going into a Fed decision day at 2 o'clock. We're going to have chop ahead of it. We're going to have chop after it. I hope we get a relief pop where maybe they're not too hawkish. They don't say anything to spook the market here. And I hope we pop up because I want to sell more stocks. So I would love to get back to 450 on the S&P just to dump more stocks because I think there's a lot of pain ahead. 
I don't think it's imminent, though. I think we're in this lull this week to calm before the earnings storm. I don't think the earnings are going to be as good. I don't think the guidance is going to be as good as last quarter. I do think the consumer is starting to slow down. I think the stocks are telling you that. There's just so many pockets of weakness. Retail's not doing well. Airline's not doing well. Um, you know, and you can just go on. The only thing that's really held up to Frank's point is tech stocks. Tech stocks have really, you know, held up very well. But, you know, all it takes is an earnings warning there, and that could get the party started on the downside there too. So I think there's going to be an opportunity for the bears here. Um, I don't think, I think if you're striking now on the short trade, you could be a little bit early because we're in this quiet period. I hope we get a pop. I'm selling reps. Joel, any uh, outlook that you want to add there? Uh, any out? No, I just uh, for, technically for the S and P's, I'd like to you know go with the daily high of uh, forty five fourteen fifty. Uh, so that that was the Globex high from yesterday, and then I, I like to a, a weekly level of control. You know where the where the bulls will say, you know what that sell off on Friday meant absolutely nothing. That that dip uh, under the two week low on on yesterday meant absolutely nothing. And that's if we could uh, we get a, get a sustained bid about 15 handles higher at 4520. So kind of still trading range post expiration. Well, I'll give you something to watch for after the close earnings that will be coming. You get FedEx and you get KBH here. Let's take a little look into these stocks. Well, FedEx has been all cost cutting. And that's been, you know, that's what's brought it back up here, held up a lot better than uh, than UPS. Uh, so we'll see, you know, good earnings. I like the, I, and I think that there's, I think I saw their sales are down 75%. I don't what know. What a comeback for FedEx. I'm just going to yeah. even interrupt you here. What a comeback it's been from 140 to 265. I would sell this as fast as I possibly could. I think this has just been an overshoot to the upside here now. Um, I think the economy is going to go into a down cycle here. I do believe that. Um, I think this FedEx rally here is overdone. I don't know if it's going to be in this quarter. Maybe they're going to say something okay. Maybe the earnings are going to be fine, or maybe they're going to warn. FedEx, remember, is a company that doesn't sugarcoat everything. They've come out with pre-announcements before. They're not going to come out with pre-announcements at this point in this time. Is back but here. if the guidance doesn't look great, they'll tell you it's not looking great. There's a lot of companies out there that even if they think, well, it'll turn around, we're just going to not say too much to spook the street. That a FedEx is not that company. If they Fed see Fed, yep. a slight downturn, Fed they will warn. FedEx so just be careful warned. on the guidance here. Yep, they warned. I remember last September, this was his big red candle, and uh, they gave a stern warning. It took a while I'm to scared stabilize. Of the yep, okay, we'll see with that. All right, guys, let's wrap it up here. It's 8.59. My last outlook, I'll be looking to see what happens, of course. 2.30, you guys can catch the conference right here on Benzinga. Of course, that's when the fireworks should start. But don't miss, of course, the prepared speech as that gets put out at 2 p.m. I'll be putting out a nice little recap on Benzinga and my Twitter. Guys, keep up with our Twitter. As you guys see our handles right by our name. And let's get to the action, guys. It's time to get right to the open. I'm going to bring you guys over to live trading. Who's our guest tomorrow, Joel? Roggy. Roggy nice. Horner. We're going to get nice. a female perspective, a calming influence, a female influence perspective on these markets. Roggy Horner, you guys turn in, tune in tomorrow. We'll be here. 
All right, guys, you guys can catch Joel O'Connor on the closing print. Dennis Dick, go do what you do best, man. Get to your trading action. And I'm going to bring you guys over, of course, to live trading. That's coming up next. Don't go anywhere, team. We got a lot more for you guys. I do want to let you guys know also a little bit about what? About, of course, the Cannabis Capital Conference that will be coming up just in just a little bit. Just next week, guys. Smash the like button. Let's take a look here at what's going on, of course, in Cannabis Capital Conference. You guys can check it out. The best event in cannabis right now, especially for investors out there. That's what this is about, right? You guys are looking for opportunities? Check it out. I'll throw up the link in the chat. All right, guys, definitely check that out. I want to throw up the link here. And like you guys saw yesterday, we'll have great names on there. You don't want to miss it, of course. Uh, some big names will be there. We'll have Governor of Illinois there. We'll have Twitter Sales and Partnerships. We'll have Cresco Labs, TrueLeave. There's so many names. And right now, we are all big on talking about this because the truth is, who knows what can happen with Deschedulize? Will we see some more companies? investors out there money coming back to the industry don't miss that of course you guys can catch a little bit more about it right here on benzinga and if you guys haven't checked out before our cannabis insiders i'll definitely give you guys the link there to check out our podcast it's on an everyday basis and we'll get you guys into now live trading that's coming up next don't go anywhere team we got a lot more for you guys always right here on benzinga and let me know what do you guys want to see more or less of on pre-market prep? I feel like sometimes we don't get the feedback from you guys and we want to hear from you guys. So hit me up guys, shows at Benzinga.com or hit the comments right after the show and I'll make sure to give you guys a nice answer on that feedback because the truth is we're always trying to make improvements here on pre-market prep. See you next time team. Now to get you guys over, of course, to live trading. Don't go anywhere.